transmission. Welcome to a new episode of EU Watchdog Radio. My name is Hans van Scharen, Media Officer at Corporate Europe Observatory, also known as CEO. We're living in the year 2021. The scientists of the IPCC told us we have basically 10 years to curb greenhouse gas emissions. Therefore, the European Union has declared climate policy the Alpha and Omega via its so-called Green Deal. The new US administration has declared more or less the same. And so many other governments around the world also claim to take the climate urgency serious. Now, taking climate change serious basically means that to tackle this crisis we need to, as of today, start keeping fossil fuels in the ground as much as possible. Taking it serious also means decentralizing energy production and do this via renewables and energy saving. Taking it serious means that governments need to design policies that tackle climate change, not to promote it. So knowing all this, what if there would be a global treaty designed by Europe that basically does the opposite? A treaty that punishes or threatens those governments, also European ones, that want to phase out fossil fuels and switch to renewable energy. That sounds pretty insane, right? Mm, yes, indeed. But such a treaty unfortunately does exist, and it's called the Energy Charter Treaty, or ECT. Via this ECT, governments that phase out coal and gas production or stop oil pipelines can be sued by corporations in private courts and held liable for billions in damages. I'll be talking about this to Pia Eberhardt, campaigner and expert on international trade from CEO. Pia has been involved in research into the ECT and action to force the EU to withdraw from the ECT. Early March, there will be a start of the political negotiations on reforming the ECT. For Pia and many other activists, it is clear that the ECT is beyond repair and the EU governments and the European Commission should pull out of this climate-killing treaty and stop its expansion to even more countries. Pia will be explaining in this podcast the origins of the Energy Charter Treaty, how it undermines the clean energy transition and how it protects hundreds of billions of investments in fossil fuel infrastructure. Can countries really get out of the ECT? And what about this so-called zombie clause? Welcome, Pia, to this podcast. Um, first of all, can you uh, explain uh, to us what is the, the Energy Charter Treaty about and, and when and why was it created? Uh, the Energy Charter Treaty is an international agreement, so signed by more than 50 states, and that happened in the mid-90s. The historical context was the end of the Soviet Union, and back then, Western European states, but also Western companies like Shell or BP, they wanted to have access to the oil and gas resources in the, so in the former Soviet Union. So that was the historical context. It was very much pushed back then by the EU, but also by states like the Netherlands and the UK. 
Um, and it wasn't so much of the, a problem for these states uh, in the first decade, I would say, but that has really changed in the last years because the ECT gives foreign investors in the energy sector a lot of power to sue states and that system has now also started to hit its creators. So now Germany, the Netherlands, etc. are also being sued. And can you explain a bit more about this uh, this juridical aspect? You say states are being sued. Can you explain how and why and and uh, give maybe give some examples, some recent examples? Yeah. So the Energy Charter Treaty gives foreign investors the right to sue the states that have signed the agreement if they think that the the rights that these investors get in the agreement have been violated. And the peculiar thing is that the lawsuits don't happen in a proper court, say a Dutch court, but they are decided by three private lawyers because they happen in international arbitration proceedings. And a recent example is indeed against the Netherlands uh, because in early February this year, the German coal giant, RWE, sued the Netherlands. It is claiming 1.4 billion euros in compensation. And why? Uh, the reason is that the, the Dutch decided to phase out coal by 2030. So by 2030, it will no longer be allowed to burn coal for electricity in the Netherlands. And RWE, which runs a power plant, coal-fired power plant in the Netherlands, is unhappy. Uh, because it wanted to continue burning coal for 20, 30, 40, I don't know how many years, and says, okay, this damages our profits, and this is why we want to have 1.4 billion euros in compensations. And this example already shows why the ECT is such a big problem um, for countries that want to do the right thing, namely act to keep you know, climate damaging fossil fuels in the ground. Right, thanks. And so this uh, this private arbitration that you just described is called ISDS, and it's the same uh, mechanism that basically exists in a lot of uh, trade uh, treaties, right? And and um, if I understand it well, there are you just gave one example, but there are uh, several hundreds of those cases under the ECT. Yeah, that's correct. We know of um, one hundred more than one hundred thirty cases which is a lot under international law. It, it might not sound so much, but in international law, it's quite a high figure. Um, and it's it's not the full story because I said we know of more than 130 cases, but it is possible under certain conditions to keep the, ca the case completely secret. So the actual number will be much higher. What's important to know, not all of these cases are filed by big oil, big coal, big gas companies against climate action. We have a lot of cases also against changes to renewable policies. But the fact is that until today, the ECT protects much more fossil fuel investments than, say, renewable investments. And we know from climate science that we have to act to keep these fossil fuels in the ground. So this will be massive profit losses for the fossil fuel companies. And this is what makes the ECT really so dangerous because we will see more and more of these lawsuits like RWE against the Netherlands. They will be very expensive and will basically make climate action um, yeah, basically unaffordable for governments. And therefore the ECT acts as a very strong incentive to not even 
you know, do these things in the first place or delay action or, or be, be a little bit more soft on the polluters than we actually have to be. Yeah, this is what I believe, uh, w which is called uh, the freezing or cooling effect on, on basically also preventing governments from taking climate action in this case, um, because out of fear for being sued in, in these private uh, arbitration uh, uh, mechanisms. That's really... Um, you have been researching the ECT for a couple of years and, and are part of a, a broader campaign. Um, is it correct to say that, um, that, that the awareness of uh, the existence of this treaty has grown considerably? And, and, and also, can you, can you explain how it is linked to the, to the climate uh, change movement? Yeah, really. I mean, the ECT was a non-issue in its first 20 years of existence, I would say. But this has really changed, particularly in the last year. Uh, this has to do with EU member states being sued and a growing awareness that there is also a financial problem, you know, for, for public budgets, but also through scientists and experts in the field who for years have warned um, you know, of uh, that, that the Energy Charter Treaty will be used as a weapon by the fossil fuel industry to fight climate action. And this is what's now, what we are now really seeing with cases such as RWE versus the Netherlands. And it's these cases that make this threat, which might sound very abstract and you might not believe it. It also sounds a little bit like a conspiracy theory. But when you then see a case, uh, it becomes reality. And this changes the situation completely. Now the climate movement is becoming increasingly aware, climate scientists as well. We now have, I think, nearly 500 scientists that have spoken out against the ECT and have called on EU member states to withdraw from it, to basically protect the Green Deal <laughs> in Europe and uh, and the climate law. And this is now also having an impact on uh, parliamentarians who are sounding alarm bells, but also on the EU member states themselves. Um, we have Spain and France in particular uh, that have already said, okay, if we cannot fix the problems with the ECT, we really need to get out. And we already have one member states that actually took that step, Italy. Uh, Italy has already left the Energy Charter Treaty, not so much in a debate over, over climate change, uh, but over policy space of governments also to enact environmental legislation. legislation. So, yeah, it's becoming increasingly controversial, But we really still have to step up the pressure uh, so that, you know, the EU member states not only talk about leaving, but actually leave, hopefully uh, sooner rather than late. Talking about the pressure, we are now talking on Friday, the 26th uh, of February. Um, and uh, you were part of the launch of a campaign this week, um, say an online petition uh, to exactly call for that. And um, as far as I know, can, can you update us on, on the figures? How many people have signed and what is the ultimate goal or the, the, the aim of this, this campaign, this petition? Uh, so indeed, the petition, uh, it has been launched by a large coalition of civil society groups from all over Europe. Some of them are very big, uh, you know, well-known uh, names, you know, like the Climate Action Network is part of the petition but we also have many small grassroots uh, and, and including climate groups and and more are coming on board because they want to join the petition now within the first three days we collected 200 more than 230,000 signatures online that is 
is quite good and it shows you know that people care and um, they want to protect you know they they want their governments uh, to to take efficient measures to to tackle the climate crisis and, and understand that the ECT is a problem our goal is really to use this petition but also other things that are being planned like an Uh, a week of action, which we will hopefully be able to do, say, in May or June, whether that is under a full corona uh, lockdown conditions uh, or whether we will also be able, you know, to protest a little bit. So to use these tools to build pressure on EU governments. The EU has a huge responsibility for this treaty. As I said, it started the mess in the mid-90s. It now really has to take responsibility to to clean it up. And for us, that means a joint withdrawal of all EU member states from the ECT. This is the main ask um, of the petition. And a second ask is to stop its dangerous expansion to other signatory states, because the ECT secretariat and some others for years have been pushing, you know, on knocking on the doors in Africa and Asia and Latin America because they want countries from the global south to sign as well. So this is another process that we really have to stop. Right. You you published last year in 2020 a brochure together with some other uh, colleagues from other NGOs, which was called Silent Expansion, right? And what is, can you can elaborate a bit more on this silent expansion and why was it called Silent Expansion? Well, we speak of a silent expansion because very people know that the Energy Charter Treaty is being expanded into more signatory states, including people in these states. It's a little bit like what we saw in the 90s when the ECT was signed, there was next to no public debate. And this is repeated in the accession countries. Uh, So you have to think of it as a really uh, an initiative by the secretariat of the ECT, which is based in Brussels. Its survival depends on the ECT and that's why it's promoting it around the world and visiting countries like say, uh, Nigeria or Bangladesh or even China and and selling the ECT with uh, fake promises, with wrong promises, basically saying, okay, if you sign on to this agreement, this will send a very good signal to the corporate world. You will, by signing, say we are very friendly towards foreign investment and this will bring a lot of foreign investment. This is also how it was sold in the 90s. The problem is there's no proof for that. It's a, it's a story that sounds plausible, but it's really not more than a story, but obviously very attractive for countries in which energy poverty is a big issue and which are really longing for investments, also clean energy investments. So it's sell, sold with fake promises, but could be a huge problem. If you think about a country like Bangladesh, for example, it's one of these countries which is now only getting into coal big time. You know, they are building coal mines, coal-fired power plants. And we all know, okay, they will also need to get out at one point. So the Energy Charter Treaty will lock more countries into fossil fuels. Um, And this is something that we must really, really prevent. I mean, it's, it's bad enough that they get into coal, but we need to preserve their policy space to change course when the when the climate crisis escalates, which it will surely do. 
Wow, that's really amazing. And um, you just made a reference to the Green Deal in Europe, eh, which basically uh, promises, um, the, the, the European Commission promised via this Green Deal to lead the European economy to a green transition, a sustainable transition, and really a, a sort of, it promises a, a, a energy shift towards um, more sustainable, renewable energy, etc. A huge, uh, well, it's, it's much larger than that, obviously, but, but let's stick to this. Now, um, investigate your Europe, which is a uh, journalistic platform um, in in um, in well, based in, in in several European countries, they published a, 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 a several stories this week on the uh, ECT, and they put out this figure. They calculated that the ECT agreement um, protects investments in fossil infrastructure of around. 344.6 billion only in European countries um, that are bound by this treaty. So um, um, that is uh, really showing how um, how much um, yeah investments, how much money is at stake. Huh? It, it, it is having really a sort of locked-in syndrome. This this treaty. Yeah, I mean the Investigate Europe research is really um, unique. Because what they indeed did, they, they tried to put the, a price tag on the ECT. How much will it cost taxpayers, you know, if governments act to keep oil, gas and coal in the ground and investors sue under the ECT? And the figure, you know, 345 billion, say, is already quite shocking. But what's interesting, it will be much more because they had huge problems in getting good data um, for coal plants. They are not even included in the figures. The same for oil pipelines. So the figures are already, um, you know, not complete. And what they also stress is that this sum, it reflects the actual costs of a project for an investor. But the ECT allows corporations to get compensation for much more than the actual costs because it allows compensation for expected future profits. So that means not that just the money that RWE has lost, you know, when the Netherlands says, okay, you can no longer burn coal for electricity, but the money that it could have made in the future had it been allowed to continue burning coal. And this is how, you know, what makes the ECT so dangerous for taxpayers and countries because this compensation for completely hypothetical, you know, pipe dream profits of corporations in the future, um, this compensation, they don't get it in national courts or in European courts, because courts rightly say, well, this is fantasy world. We don't, it's, it's not part of, you know, what we consider property protection. So in other words, under the ECT, fossil fuel companies can walk away with much more money than they would ever get under any other legal system. This makes it super attractive to them. It's a bit like a cash machine um, and super dangerous, you know, for us, for, for citizens and governments and people who really care um, about the climate crisis. And this is why we have to have to get out. Right, and this this explanation really shows that this kind of treaties are really tailor made for um, big, big, big multinationals and um, um, and protecting their investments and and uh, and, and interests and and really goes against the, the public interest and uh, indeed the urgency, the climate urgency is uh, is clearly under threat via this 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 treaty now. Um, 
maybe not to be too technical, but is it actually possible for, for EU member states to get out? To, you, you already referred to Italy, but how, how can countries get out of this uh, monster? Um, getting out of the monster is easy. You just send a little letter and you're out a year later. So that is not the problem. The problem is um, a political will <laughs> and do governments want that or do they want to protect their, you know, uh, quote, their companies when they go abroad, like many governments still do that. Um, so that is one problem. And the other problem is that the ECT has a catch, a super anti-democratic catch, which we call the zombie clause. It basically means you kill the treaty, it's dead, but it keeps on living. That's why we call it the zombie clause. It says that a country that gets out can be sued for 20 more years. It's happening to Italy as well. Um, and, and this is a huge problem. Uh, and what we propose to mitigate that, that crazy zombie clause is that the EU countries leave together. When they do that, they can together declare, okay, after we have gotten out, the zombie clause no longer applies to us. So at least that would make, protect the Netherlands, for example, in the future from claims like RWE against the Netherlands if Germany also gets out, you know, and if they jointly declare, okay, it's no longer applicable, this zombie clause between us. So this is a legal way to fix it. We also have to look into other ways. And it's very good that, you know, countries like Spain and France that are, have become very critical of the ECT have now called on the European Commission, you know, you need to look into this plan, how to get out. You need to you know, come up with legal solutions to this legal problem. Um, but I think really the biggest thing is political will. And this is then when it comes back to us. You know, we have to step up the pressure on elected officials and bureaucrats and say, you know, get out of this agreement and find legal ways to fix its catches. It's possible. Uh, this is your job. Do it now and do it fast. You know, there's no way we can still be in this agreement when we have the, the next UN climate talks uh, at the end of the year. We need to get out by then. Yeah, it's basically to, 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 to step up their game and to say, like, either you take uh, climate change serious and the Paris Agreement serious, or you, you just admit that you basically only care about the, the, the corporate interests. Um, that is quite a... So this exit strategy that you just talked about, um, how does that um, uh, connect to the uh, reform negotiations? Because um, when um, we are talking now a few days before the start of the uh, next negotiations, right? And can you explain a bit on what is going on there and wh what is the context of these negotiations that start uh, early March? I mean, the context is really the mess that the ECT creates, and this has forced um, the EU in particular to push for reforms. Uh, this process is called modernization of the ECT. So imagine it, all the 50 plus countries, they sit together nowadays over Zoom and they uh, try to re negotiate reforms of the agreement. If you ask me, this process looks like it will, it will get nowhere. Uh, I mean, if you look at what's on the table, it's very little. It's cosmetic changes. Even the EU, who claims to be one of the, 
you know, a climate champion and one of the progressive forces in the negotiations, they say, oh, we are still okay with protecting fossil fuels under the ECT for 10 more years. And for gas, they even propose, um, you know, that the ECT would apply for until 2040. So, you know, 20 more years of polluters suing governments for climate action. So that's what on the table. And even that has little chances, you know, of succeeding because there are ECT member states like Japan who basically say, oh, we like this agreement as it is. We don't want to have any changes. So what we would see is negotiations that drag on for years, take a lot of time, and energy by negotiators, but really won't tame the ECT as a climate killer. And this is the reason why, you know, climate scientists and a growing number of parliamentarians say, like, this is a scam. Um, it's the wrong path. Uh, just leave it and leave the agreement um, now. Wow, I definitely hope that um, um, more and more uh, European citizens um, um, get to know about this action and then wake up. Um, uh, maybe a last uh, philosophical question, Pia, is if governments would do the right thing and, and agree that, that um, they need to step out of this, um, is it maybe also that they fear the bol political backlash and that they sort of by doing so admit that um, uh, certain trade treaty treaties and investment treaties are not actually um, always the best thing to do that is sort of acknowledgement of a of a certain yeah neoliberal uh, one of the tools in the ne neoliberal toolbox um, yeah sure and I can imagine that it's it's not easy to admit mistakes you know but um I mean, we all have to admit mistakes every now and then, in particular when the science changes and when the situation changes as dramatically as it does in the, in the context of the climate crisis. I mean, get over your pride and just admit that it was a huge historical mistake to sign this agreement. Now is the chance to just do it better, you know, get out. Just get out. There's no public benefits and huge public risks, no arguments for staying in. We've come to the end of this podcast. A special thanks goes out to my guest Pia Eberhardt for sharing her knowledge with us and for taking action. Also a big thank you to Mark Baroner and Jan Kallewaert for technical assistance. If you like this podcast and if you value the work of CEO, then please support us to stay independent. We are a small organization that works fully independently of funding from EU institutions and corporations. So every single donation, small or big, helps us to fight the hold of big business over European policy making. Stay tuned, stay safe. <laughs>